0: How do you motivate yourself to do something that you don't want to do, but you feel that is important for you to do?
1: I think that it's about talking to the inner child a lot for me, because I sense that within myself, there are moments where when I protest or I'm in resistance or don't feel motivated, it's often I feel like my inner child is like, I don't want to do it. It's like it's kind of that it's kind of that feeling inside of me it, to a degree, and I think that one of the ways that I like to motivate myself is to negotiate with that inner child and also reward it because it's like the adult part of my consciousness is like, cool, we got some, we got a podcast to record or we have a a, a coaching program to launch or or we need to clean the house or scoop out the litter box, whatever it is. But often, you know, the inner child is like, we just want to sit down and like watch basketball or watch car racing or go get ice cream or whatever it is. But I like to build in a reward mechanism where it's like, look, we're going to sit down. We're going to do this thing. I know you don't want to do it, but I'll take you out for mint chocolate chip ice cream after we finish. So to me, it feels like like I'm talking to a child sometimes within my own consciousness. Is that crazy? Does that make any sense at all? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's really what you do?
1: A lot of the times, yeah. It's like I have a conversation with with myself that's in resistance. And or if I feel like I'm forgetting why, I try and remind myself of the why. You know, what's the higher purpose of this? What's the higher reason why did I start doing this in the first place? Or you know, I also think about the consequences, too. I mean, I think, I think there's a fine line between this kind of reward conversation we have with ourselves and also being very, very present to the consequence if we don't take that action, because everything has an equal and opposite reaction, all energy, all things we initiate, the law of thermodynamics, you know? And so, yeah, I think about, well, if I just leave the dishes in the sink for a week, which I'm prone to do, truth be told. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a massive undertaking to spend, you know, an hour and a half cleaning the kitchen. There's going to be mold. It's going to be gross. The cats are going to get in the dishes. You know, there's not to be punitive, and I'm not talking about punishment per se, but there are there are consequences for actions we don't take. So, that's kind of my, you know, I mean, there, there are nuances in that, but I think, you know, motivation's a tricky thing. There are certainly days, I know you probably feel this way, where the to-do list is there and, and the calendar is full, but we just don't feel like doing any of it. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are challenging days. I'm not going to say that these mechanisms I'm talking about with reward or thinking about consequence or talking to my inner child or remembering why I started, there are some days those don't feel as effective as others, honestly. There are some days where those strategies don't feel Like They're working as much, and I'd rather just stay in bed eating chocolate-covered pretzels or kale chips or what actually... And that's not really my snack right now. What would I eat right now? Hippies. I don't know. I don't know. What do I feel? I think maybe you would go for
0: the vegan Rob's puffs.
1: That's what it is. That's what I would go for. There are days... Shout out to vegan Rob's. There are days when I... You know, there are days when I'd rather, yeah, sit in bed and eat cauliflower puffs and just watch YouTube videos. You know, I'm... But I also realize that there's a responsibility in having your own business. There's a responsibility in being an entrepreneur. There's a responsibility in that I'm serving other people. And it's not just about me. Yes, we want to like do self-care, but that desire to stay in bed all day and eat puffs and just watch YouTube videos, there's nothing wrong with it. I want to say that. I'm not condemning that because there are certain days where maybe that is the best course of action. But if I realize that I'm in service to others... That's a big motivator is remembering other people in that equation.
0: I definitely went through phases where all I wanted to do was lay in bed and eat those puffs. And I really miss (laughs) eating them, to be honest. Just hearing about them reminds me of massive amounts of pleasure of just laying in bed and watching TV and eating those. It's funny because I don't eat them right now because I changed my diet to a low carb diet. But it's actually really interesting because. I feel like food does play such a big role in those moments, and these days I don't really snack. I guess I do every once in a while, but I don't really eat that many snacks because it's hard to find really good vegan low carb snacks. And so it's usually like food has has shifted a lot for me in terms of my relationship to it when I'm lacking. Like I just want to be lazy. I guess mm-hmm. it's really it's really fascinating. That's just a little side note, but I just look back on the times when. I wasn't like my diet was different and how I would just turn to food during those times and just like that desire we have to eat foods that make us feel good you know it's real it's really fascinating especially if you go on any sort of cleanse or you switch your diet around so you're not eating the same foods and you're kind of getting out of your current habits that's when it becomes really evident how much you can depend on food for that emotional stimulation or emotional- Comfort? Yeah, comfort. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's Big all. time.
1: Or it's a substitute. I mean, have you found now, since you say your snacking lesson, you, your relationship to food and snacking has evolved, do you find that, that right now for you that the emotional eating or the emotional aspect of comforting yourself or using- food as a substitution or food to motivate yourself or any of the things we're discussing, has that dissipated? Has that shifted for you? Like, how do you feel about food right now in terms of your emotional relationship to it?
0: For the most part, I really look at food as more about fuel, but I, I do have cravings. They're just very different. Like Right now, I crave things like tempeh or tofu or, or just kind of more high-protein. Type foods. Yeah. Whereas in the past, I would crave like sugar like crazy. I still have some of those sugar cravings, but I'm so much more disciplined, I guess, that there just are less options for me. So if I have a really strong sugar craving, I'll make myself a coffee drink or a tea drink, or I'll make like a fat bomb or whatever it is, like because my options are more limited. And it's given me more awareness because then sometimes. I find it easier to step back and think like, why am I having that craving? Is it a real craving? Is it a physical craving? Is it an emotional craving? I feel like usually when I crave something like chocolate, it is because I'm looking for the fix of that, like because it raises dopamine in your body, right?
1: Yeah, and also the chemicals in chocolate, the PEA, which is the phenylethylamine, and also the theobromine, they call it the love molecule, where when you're in love, these chemicals are released in your brain and chocolate mimics that, which I think is one of the big reasons why there's kind of that, that cultural stereotype, which exists for a reason that when you break up with someone, it's like, I just want chocolate right now. And we have that thing in our culture of movies and books where someone's going through a heartbreak and they just consume massive amounts of chocolate because they're literally addicted to being in love right. and chocolate releases and in- encourages those chemicals in your brain which is fascinating to think about. Like there's a direct correlation.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very comforting and soothing, I think. And so I, I believe that a lot of us turn to those foods that create that chemical reaction. It's just that most people are not even aware that that's why they're doing it. It's like a, a knee-jerk reaction. And one of the best things for me is because I've really had a tough relationship with food most of my life, I felt feel like the current way that I've been eating, the framework in which I've been eating, which follows more of like a keto, low-carb, plant-based diet perspective, has really helped me become more aware of why I'm eating and what food does to my body. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm able to just identify how I feel. For instance, before Jason and I started recording today, I made us each matcha teas. And so we had matcha powder, coconut milk from a can, some walnut milk, both unsweetened. And then I added in some sugar-free vanilla syrup. And I think that was it. MCT oil. Oh, right, right, right. I can't forget the MCT. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really hooked on MCT oil right now. (laughs) If there's something that I, I feel like not addicted to, but something that I'm really into in this moment, it's because we just came back from a conference where they had an abundance of MCT oil. And every, you know that you're hooked on something when my days always began with going to get a coffee and then get it, putting the MCT oil in it. I, I had this whole routine. I don't know if you knew this, Jason. I don't think you were ever with me when I did this. Maybe you were there for part of it, but but not quite aware.
1: Your morning routine.
0: So... We were at this amazing conference that Wanderlust put on. Called Wellspring. Highly recommend it. If they do it again, and Wellspring was phenomenal. And if they don't do it again, they have their Wanderlust festivals anyway, which I haven't been to, but Jason's been involved with for a while. And one of their partners is Bulletproof. Bulletproof makes really, really high quality coffee. And Jason and I were actually listening to the Bulletproof Diet audiobook in the car on the way back from the conference. And now I just feel so excited about their coffee and I feel like I want to become more of a devotee to it because I'm really passionate about organic fair trade coffee. I think those are very important for us environmentally and health-wise. But listening to some of the facts that were shared by Dave Asprey about coffee and the fact that I have grown so fond of coffee lately, like, again, if that was an addiction, I feel like coffee might be the closest I have to an addiction right now. And I, I feel like I was understanding it better listening to that book because he was explaining how coffee really, it sounds like almost literally changed his life, right? Because Dave Asprey's story started with him experimenting with coffee in college, I think. Correct. And then he learned about things like mold toxins and quality and how some coffee is too acidic and it makes you feel bad or gives you headaches or makes your energy crash. And I didn't know this about coffee because I'm so new to consuming coffee. And he was sharing how specific types of coffee, depending on how it's grown, and I guess just the whole process around it can really affect the way you feel, which I guess sounds obvious saying that out loud. But I feel like most people don't think about that when it comes to coffee. Most people think about, does it taste good first and foremost? Or is it cheap? Like those are the two things, you know. It's yeah. like I keep seeing McDonald's advertising their one dollar coffee, and I was like, wow, that's that's a hard price to beat. And then people that always complain about Starbucks and how expensive it is, but people are hooked on Starbucks. But then there are people that can't stand the taste of Starbucks; so they won't go there. And I just—it's so fascinating this conversation around coffee. Right. Anyways, to get back to the story, we're at this wanderlust conference bulletproof had coffee in the presenters lounge and Jason was presenting so i by association would go into the presenter lounge usually at least once a day sometimes twice a day i would go in there with my reusable mug i would fill up on coffee and then i would walk all the way across to the other side of the festival which felt like it was really far mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they were they were on opposite ends of this huge convention center I would walk all the way over to the bulletproof booth in the exhibit hall. I would get the MCT oil and then I would go to a different booth and, <laughs> and get some non-dairy milk because I basically had to go to three different places to make myself a coffee and I did this at least once a day. <laughs> and you know- I didn't know
1: you were doing that. <laughs> Her little secret routine, on the road routine.
0: Do you remember off the top of your head the benefits of MCT oil? Because I have a tough time articulating things that I've learned. I have to hear it many times in order for me to be able to repeat it back without reading it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that,
0: Jason, I feel like, is much better at remembering these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're both definitely nutritional science geeks. Yeah. Um, but
0: I like the term biohack. Bio-ha- yeah. I like, nu- yeah. That's, you I don't consider about- yourself a biohacker?
1: No, I do. I think I identify with that term in the sense that I'm always up for experimenting with new foods and new forms of therapy and new ways to see how things affect my body, mind, and spirit. So yeah, in in the vein of biohacking, of just being relentlessly experimental and trying new things, definitely. Now, I'm super glad you brought up MCT because I don't ever want to assume that whomever's listening to us automatically knows, okay, what's the benefit of matcha? What's the benefit of low mycotoxin coffee, what's the benefit of MCT? So, let's start with MCT because you asked. So, it's stands Well, also,
0: I feel like most people don't really understand. They don't even know what it is. Yeah.
1: So, that's why I'm glad you asked. So, I can can, can break it down a little bit. (laughs) So, MCT oil, as far as I understand, it's medium chain triglyceride oil. So, it's a form of coconut oil, like a fractionated coconut oil. And these medium chain triglycerides, from my understanding, actually bypass the liver completely, which provides sustainable- long-lasting energy in the body. So, the medium-chain triglycerides are a source of energy, they bypass the liver, uh, and they're also very satiating too in terms of their caloric density. So, if people are looking to really satiate themselves while getting that quick energy, to me, those are the primary benefits of it. Now, when you combine it with something like matcha, right, which is amazing, matcha green tea-
0: Like we just did.
1: Is phenomenal because yes, it does have caffeine. It doesn't have the amount of caffeine that many coffees do. So I personally don't feel any kind of jitteriness or crash when I have matcha, but the benefit of matcha is it has a very specific amino acid called L-theanine, which has been shown to improve cognition and brain function. So I love matcha, especially with MCT because it boosts my brain function, boosts my cognition, boosts my retention, and then I get that energy spike from the MCT oil. So that to me is a super powerful combination.
0: I just pulled over this book I read recently called Fat for Fuel by Dr. Mercola. And it's a really great book, actually, if you're interested in these subject matters. Not a vegan book, but I actually felt like it was easy to just ignore the non-vegan parts of it for me. So I just pulled open the page where he talked about MCT oil.
1: Yeah. What does the doc have to say?
0: Well, this is interesting. He said, Normally, when you eat a fatty food, it's broken down into the small intestine, primarily through the action of bile salts and lipase, is that how you pronounce it? Lipase, uh uh-huh. A pancreatic enzyme, but medium-chain triglycerides are able to bypass this process. They diffuse across the intestinal membrane and go directly to your liver. Once there, if if your body's in a state of burning fat for fuel, the MCT oil can be converted into ketones which are then released back into your bloodstream and are transported throughout your body, including to your brain, and can be used as clean burning fuel. That was so a that's much better explanation. <laughs> <laughs> there you could tell as a doctor wrote this. And so that's reason that it's a great way to take in some extra fat. So, you know, it's interesting. I've been studying more the people that are proponents of the ketogenic diet. And this book is one of them. Um, Dave Asprey seems to be one of them. I don't know if he uses that term necessarily. I think he has like his own definition of what it means to have a bulletproof diet. right but Joe it Rogan sounds, talks about It sounds it. like they're all very passionate about fat as your primary fuel source. correct. and all of these resources actually are very good about explaining the myth behind fat, which I found most fascinating because I feel like so many people have these ideas of like fat being so bad and fat, if you consume it, fat, that means you will be fat. And they're much more eloquent than me. So, I, I will let listeners read more about it or listen to more interviews about all of that. But uh, it's really fascinating. It's working very well for me too. I actually, going back to the, the whole origination of this conversation is that I feel much more focused, much more energized. I've lost weight. I feel just physically great. And I feel more satiated because I'm eating more fat. And that's probably part of the reason that I really enjoy MCT oil and just coconut oil in general. MCT oil is a form of coconut oil. It just, I feel immediately, it's hard to, I don't want to keep using the same words. Satiated is definitely one of the words, but it's just like satisfied, I guess, Mm, mm -hmm. is that if I have, we had this matcha with MCT oil added to it and I feel energized really fast. And a good, like, stable energy, which I really appreciate. Plus, I also feel like I don't need to eat anything for a little while, and that's actually one of the reasons that people use MCT oil is that it helps decrease your appetite in a positive way because you have like all these calories and this fat for your body to use as fuel.
1: I was gonna say I wanna I wanna loop back to a couple things that we touched on earlier in the conversation. One, when you talked about the way that coffee is grown, mm-hmm. and to me, I have a real issue with the categorical demonization of certain food products, that yep. coffee's bad for you, fat's bad for you, mm-hmm. coconut oil's bad for you. But I really love the approach and the first person I think who coined this and created a phrase that I love to this day uh, is our, our friend Ashley Koff, registered mm. dietitian. She's been on the Dr. Oz show dozens of times. Love Ashley's work. If you guys don't know, um, we'll put those in the show notes, check out Ashley's stuff. But she coined a term a few years ago called being a qualitarian, Mm -hmm. where you are investigating not only the certifications of a product, whether that's USDA organic, or it's non-GMO certified, or it's uh, zero glyphosate certified. There's a lot of different certifications out there, but researching about how the food is grown. And then how the food is processed, because not all food products, again in a category, are created equal. We can't just say coffee is just bad; it's this horrible product. Well, if that coffee is low acid, and that coffee is organically grown, and that coffee is free of mycotoxins, then how it affects your body is going to be substantively very different than a McDonald's coffee, as you mentioned. Much like anything, much like how nuts are grown and stored, uh, much like the conversation about around gluten that. Heirloom or Canadian European or sorry, rather, European or Canadian grown wheat that's from heirloom seeds, that's organic, that's grown in the right soil conditions, that's not stored in these giant grain silos where a lot of mold and toxic fungus. You know, I did an experiment a few years back. I know I've told you this, but I've been primarily gluten-free for a while. I still go off the off the rails. It's like, oh, there's a vegan croissant, I'm gonna have the vegan croissant. But a few years back, I remember buying an heirloom. Italian grown wheat. It was an organic certified heirloom Italian pasta. And I made this pasta and I tried it. And I noticed that I did not have the same kind of gastrointestinal distress or brain fog or feelings as opposed to having like a regular old American grown non-USDA certified organic pasta. Like, So again, when we talk about gluten, that's another thing where people are like, ah, just gluten's bad. I personally don't believe that because again, it goes back to the growing conditions, the soil, how it's stored. So being a qualitarian and really, I can't stress enough, all of us doing our research and experimenting to see what works for our bodies is so, so important. Rather than just demonizing something and saying, that's horrible for you. We've got to experiment.
0: I think part of that is also we're continuously learning as human beings. And just in our lifetime, you see how much nutritional advice has changed. Yeah. Big time. I mean, just in the time that I've been vegan, you see how much food has changed in that time. And yes, we have fads and trends and all that, but just because something is trendy doesn't mean that it's bad. Like I remember when I started, I went gluten free in 2010. And I remember back then it was like really trendy and people are so skeptical about it. And there wasn't a lot of data about the benefits of being gluten free it was basically like are you celiac or if you're not celiac you're just doing it for a trend but i felt an immediate difference as jason was saying and again like we both live in the us so of course what we're eating it really depends on where it's coming from but it's just fascinating how people can get so upset and polarized and and have all these really strong opinions and I, my mindset is that we are still in an unknown period i mean there isn't anybody who just like I feel like in general, it's not like one, there's one way of doing thing that's right for everybody, right. And if you read a lot, then you'll see that doctors and scientists are coming to completely different conclusions from one another.: Yeah. So if all these people have different ideas around what's healthy, then maybe there isn't one right way to do it, or maybe we just haven't found the ideal way yet. I think there are things that overlap, and I'm really passionate about that. I'm working on an ebook right now is the time. That we're recording this about summarizing a lot of the different information that I found and just finding the crossover, because I think that's helpful. And it also comes down so much to just seeing how you feel and paying attention to all the nuances and what you're eating, when you're eating it, where it's coming from, all these different things. It's a big experiment. And so, you have to have some passion for experimenting like we do about, you know, with biohacking and all that, or just being open to trying new things and keeping an open mind. Cause I agree. I don't think it's, I don't think it's helpful to get too rigid and too opinionated about all of this because it's, my opinion has changed so much over the years. Yeah. When I look back on all the different nuances or extremes of my diet, It's vastly different, and I'm constantly learning new things that negate things that I used to think were the right way to do them.
1: Right. I mean, I one of the questions I feel like I get pretty consistently asked, especially during you know live presentations, is what you brought up. Well, there's so much conflicting evidence, and this study says that you know being vegan is the best, and this study says that eating oil is good. This other study says that eating oil will kill you. This other study says we need to eat meat to thrive, and And how do we know what's right? And how do we know what's true? And I think, again, my response to that is you need to be relentlessly experimental and open to finding what works for you right now.
0: And if you are trusting somebody for advice and they are super rigid in their perspectives, I feel like that's generally not a great sign. It's a red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It's just that if, like, for example, with us listening to The Bulletproof Diet, and knowing that Dave Asprey, the author, has some history of being really against veganism. It's like, well, I'm going to take in some of his information, but the fact that he's complete, like, I don't know, you know more about his history with, with veganism in his comments than I do. But I think it's like, I'm going to take in a little bit of information from him and information from other people right? and find what works and feels best for me.
1: That's the best approach, though, because you're coming at it from not only a bio-individualistic perspective. But also knowing that on a cellular level, every seven years, you're comprised of fresh new cells. So to me, logically, how could it be that the exact way of eating and living and thinking and being could possibly be the same seven years from now? We know that on a biological level, our bodies are changing and recreating. So to me, it's always, again, being curious, being gentle with yourself, experimenting, and not buying into the dogma too deeply. Because I think when people get into nutritional dogma so deep, it prevents them from really feeling into what works for themselves instead of, oh, okay, you know, soy is evil, nuts are, I mean, there's so many permutations of this conversation. But again, I think it just comes down to be curious, be experimental, be open, and just honor your own personal evolution and your own personal growth.
0: I feel like it would be helpful to come back to the original topic around
1: Motivation. How do you motivate
0: yourself? <laughs> Obviously, food plays a big role on this, and it re- I mean it, it drastically does. I think food is one of the first places to look when you're not feeling well, when your energy is low. A lot of people struggle with low energy a lot. I mean, I do a little, but I feel like it's kind of like I'm tuning in, and so it's getting easier and easier for me to get a, a grasp on what makes me feel energized and we know that sleep is very important, right? And it's also I feel like figuring out where your best energy, like when you feel your best, remembering what that's like and then noticing how you're feeling throughout the day based on the things that you've done. So, for example, if I wake up in the morning, I'll usually sit there and kind of do a analysis of how I'm feeling. Am I feeling rested? And if not, can I get some more sleep? Do I have to wake up right now at this time? Can I cancel something? Can I move something in my schedule to allow me to get some more sleep if that feels important? Could I add in a nap later on that day? Or can I make sure that I go to bed earlier that evening so that I can make up for some sleep the previous night? But sometimes I wake up and I feel really low energy. And it's just like a little bit of a, a fog around me, I guess. I don't know if that's fully common or exactly what causes that. <laughs> But it's just a temporary low energy. Mm -hmm. I think that's also very important to pay attention to, knowing that things are often very temporary and that you can shift them. I find that if I bring myself into action, if I have a plan, if I have something exciting that I'm going to do, I just will naturally become more energized around it. I think a lot of the times that we feel low energy or low motivation is is that what we're doing does not really make us feel good deep down inside. Interesting. I mean, I think that's a super important, like if you're waking up in the morning, I remember this when I I used to work the quote unquote typical nine to five and I would wake up and just dread going to work. Dread. I think most, a lot, I don't know if most is the right word, but I think a lot of people when they wake up in the morning, they're really upset about what their day is about to be because they have to go to work. Hmm. Don't you think so? You don't think so?
1: No, I mean, I think about, so Whitney and I are both similar in the sense that we both spent many years working for other people other companies i did probably six, close to 6 years you know when i got out of college i went right into the advertising industry and worked as a copywriter worked as a marketing director which has been serving me well like later in life as an entrepreneur but you know i did the whole advertising agency thing and yeah i mean i remember feeling this sense of like i really don't want to go do this and i think it was not just the convention of working for others, although I later realized that I'm not a person who enjoys working for other people. You know, that was that whole thing of, of knowing your true nature and being like, I remember having a conversation with my mom, you know, in the parking lot of her work, where we were, it wasn't an argument, but I was like, I can't work for anyone else. <laughs> like, I just can't. And it was like my wiring, I feel like I was going against my own wiring all those years where I was working for someone else because I don't like to be told what to do. I'm a very rebellious person. I like working in tandem with people, right? I like collaborations like this podcast, but the hierarchy of I'm your boss or I'm your supervisor, I'm going to tell you what to do combined with my heart, not really just not being in alignment with the work I was doing, not feeling any value to what I was doing. It's hard. So I think, yeah, dread, dread, maybe existential nihilism, like what is the point of this? Mm -hmm. I'm just making a paycheck there's a lot of fear around that. I mean, I certainly felt all those things.
0: I mean, is that sometimes our energy is more about the mentality. I mean, motivation, I feel like, is mostly mentality. So if you lack the motivation to get up in the morning and you feel just super low energy, it might just be a mindset thing for you. It might be as simple as shifting your mindset, which I believe we really can do. You might not like something, but shifting your mindset can help you accomplish it if, it if it feels like it needs to be done. you know. And some people choose to work jobs, a specific type of job, because that's the best way for them to make money the fastest, or they haven't found something else. And yeah, everybody has different reasons for it. I'm just a big proponent for being very conscious about what your reasons are and not boxing yourself in. I think a lot of people just think they have to do things and they might even if they don't feel like doing it even if they don't want to do it they feel like they have to and that that always breaks my heart i think if you tune into something there are times when we need to do something even if we don't want to but i think a good part of our life we can choose to do things that we really want to do and that has a huge effect on our whole lives
1: yeah i mean i guess it really depends too on what things what you talk about mentality what things represent in your life You know, if I think about my mom to bring it back to Susan, who's likely listening to this, (laughs) because she's so loving and supportive. You know, growing up when I was really young, as a single mom raising me, she would work three and four jobs at a time, and I remember going with her because she was cleaning banks, and I, I I would go with her to these banks after the banks would close, and she would clean the banks in the middle of the you know the middle of the night and whatnot, and you know there are moments be real that I've observed where it's like, sometimes you just got to like, put your head down and do what needs to be done to put food on the table mm-hmm. and bring money in. And it might not be this ideal, like I'm manifesting my highest purpose. Like there are certainly moments, even as an entrepreneur and, and you know, building my own brand that, you know, there there were crunchy moments where I'm like, maybe I don't feel fully aligned with this brand deal, or maybe I don't feel fully aligned with whatever this project is. But truth be told, like, rent is due and food needs to happen. And, you know, I feel like even as an entrepreneur, there were moments of like, I'm going to take this on because I know the end result is taking care of my life and providing for myself.
0: And that in itself is motivation though.
1: Hell yeah, it's motivation.
0: That is a huge element of motivating people is what are their reasons for doing it? Similar to what you were saying at the very beginning. And it comes in big and small ways. I was thinking about this last night. I really didn't want to go to yoga. And I was so conflicted. I'm like, I feel kind of tired and I'm lazy and I just want to like lie in bed. And then I thought, but I really should go to yoga. And I just like had this like back and forth, back and forth in my head. And I, what really helped me motivate myself to go was visualizing being there and all of the good feelings I would have when I got there and the good feelings I would have when I was done with it. And that was extraordinarily helpful. And I feel like it. That can play a role in our lives in big and small ways is just visualizing the outcome or visualizing the positive elements of work. So I've worked a lot of different jobs over time or I've done a lot of different tasks or whatever and I agree that when you think about what's it going to feel like when you're done with it, what's it going to feel like to have the money that comes along with it or what's it going to feel like to have the satisfaction, what's your body going to feel like You know, if you're doing something like exercise. In my case, it's just thinking about how good am I going to feel afterwards, directly afterwards, and then the day afterwards, and just going through this mental framework around why it is that you're going to do something.
1: Yeah. And the visualization component, though, is massive because if that is the thing that is the reward for you, right? Because it's not just about the money or the accolades, it's what those things represent, as you so beautifully said, in your life. It's not, oh, cool, I'm going to take on this new contract, it's a $10,000 contract, Like that, that doesn't really have a lot of meaning. But it's like, wow, I could take that and pay off my debt. I could put that as a deposit on a new car I've been wanting. I could put that into my retirement. It, it's, it's what the thing represents in your life and what you can do with it because money is just energy. And so to me, I think it, it, it's really about being clear about what your aims are and your goals are in life and taking action that's in alignment with those things. And to me I think that goes back to when I don't feel motivated I think about what the higher purpose is. Okay, I know that, you know, in my life right now very clear on like paying off business and personal debt, you know, continuing to put money aside for retirement, buying a house, I want to get a, you know, a new Tesla. I want to have the abundance to share and donate to organizations I believe in, animal rescue and you know, I understand that in terms of say because we're talking about money or working jobs or taking on projects. Of where that energy wants to be dispersed, where I wanna put that energy. So when I'm feeling like, I just wanna sit and eat cauliflower puffs and watch YouTube videos all day, I remind myself of those aims and those goals. And that's very motivating because, especially if there's a deep emotional component to those things.
0: Because sometimes it's just starting something that's the hardest part. Actually, I would I would say most of it is the hardest. It's like mm. part of my resistance to going to yoga last night was just like dreading driving there. And while, you know, like getting it. But once I was in the room, it was really pleasant. Yeah. And so I actually had that part of my visualization. I it was like talking myself, my, to my future self. Okay, well, this drive may may not be super pleasant, but you're about to experience something really good for yourself. Yeah. And that is insanely, insanely helpful. And I also feel like it's important sometimes to do the things that we. Want to do instead of getting ourselves motivated. So, for instance, just having a few hours, or maybe a a weekend day, or whatever day off you have, to sit around and eat cauliflower puffs and watch YouTube videos. I think those days are very important, and we need to have those rest days or those rest periods. And it's also helpful for contrast because if you you can then in your head remember what it's like to sit there and eat and watch something. If you're very conscious to how you're feeling in that moment, you can also think about what the opposite is like, what would it have felt like to do the thing that you were trying to motivate yourself to do. Mm -hmm. And that helped me too in my head. I I sat there last night and thought, how's it going to feel to do yoga? How's it going to feel afterwards? And then I thought, how's it going to feel to lay down and watch something on TV? And how would I feel afterwards? And having that contrast there helped me make a decision and push myself to do something. Yeah. I think the other big point, too, along those lines, is that some people push themselves so much all the time that they burn themselves out, of course, right?
1: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, in the entrepreneur community, influencer community, this is an all too common thing because, ah, boy, this is opening up Pandora's box a little bit. There's the messages we get from certain people that are like, keep the hustle, keep the grind, 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 grind. And you hear these pedantic, overly simplistic things of like, well how'd you how you get so successful? Hard work. Hard work.
0: You, that's, that's Elon Musk actually said that that's recently. That's all you have to
1: say. Hard work.
0: I feel like was that in a tweet or an Instagram, but he was saying like, you know, I just work 100 hours when everybody else is working 40.
1: It's pedantic though, and it's pedantic, here's why it's pedantic. Because if hard work was the answer, my grandpa would have been a billionaire.
0: You've talked I think I think we talked about this another it's episode. It's pedantic didn't and I? I
1: hate this. I have an emotional reaction to this overly simplistic framework that entrepreneurs and billionaires and influencers, yeah, just grind, man. Keep grinding. Don't give up. Hard work. There's so many other components to this because I know so many people and growing up in a family of extremely hard workers, if that was the answer and that's the only answer, then yes, we would all be rich and famous and wealthy. It's not just that. There's so many other layers. There's luck. There's timing. There's connections. There's privilege. There's all. There's a million other factors. So I take umbrage with just keep keep working hard. Because this is I a source it,
0: You you get really activated whenever I this do comes up. I, Why does it activate you? Because so I
1: think that the people who are in, are in successful positions aren't giving us the full picture. It's like just work hard, guys. Yes, that's kind of like ground zero. Of course, working hard and putting effort and intention and focus on what you want is a thing. But like. And what else?
0: Well, I think we also, just like with food, you have to figure out what gets you the results that you want. Yes. Because each of us have different goals. We all have our own measuring sticks. In fact, our lives are the only measuring stick that matters. We get into this mindset of comparing ourselves and trying to emulate other people, which I think has its benefits. Sometimes comparing yourself to somebody is very motivating. I think that's part of the reason why Picture, you know, there's like the body goals thing that goes around on Instagram and other Mm, platforms. It's like, this is the person that I want to look like. I want my body to look like them. I'm going to do whatever it takes to look like them. That can be motivation. But to your point, you don't know exactly what that person did to get to look like that. Exactly. Or to get to that place in their life. And so to just try to like emulate the things that you think that they're doing, or if they give you some really surface level advice, like Elon Musk, you would say, oh, well, if I want to be as successful as Elon Musk, I better work 100 hours a week. But what exactly is he doing then that 100 hours? And maybe Elon Musk has, I mean, we know by observation, Elon Musk is a very rare human being. His mind works differently than you would think most people's minds do. So for Elon Musk to do 100 hours is very different. Maybe he can't help himself, but do 100. Maybe he literally can't sleep. Maybe his brain is so active that in order for him to feel fulfilled he needs to do that 100 hours. Yes. where somebody else could accomplish very similar goals to him but do a lot less work because of the way their minds work and their bodies work. And I think that that's incredibly important for us to remember is that it's not about the hours. And I think if we have to step back and say why exactly are we doing this? And if our our why may be very different than somebody else's why, and in a lot of cases I think that it is. And We have to just create our own standards of success to that point. Agreed. And that's why I think you actually can be very successful and still eat cauliflower puffs and watch YouTube videos a few hours a week.
1: Yes, 100%. Or you could
0: take two days off, like an average person, and just work five days and still accomplish a lot. And so I think it's very important to remind people it's okay if you are not feeling motivated. We also go through phases too. I do. This happens to me. I often find this happens. Maybe in January or February, a few it's like I've noticed a pattern in the time of year well this will happen for me where I'll I'll have a dip in my motivation and I'll feel stuck, I'll feel frustrated, I'll feel unsure, I'll go through a lot. There I think in the past year or two, there was like one month where I barely did anything. Yeah. And my life is completely fine, even though I spent that much time off. I think some people taking a whole month off actually might be really beneficial, especially if you have a career where, that gives you the flexibility or lifestyle, whatever it is. If you have that flexibility built into your life and if it's a long-term situation that you're in, for example, for us as entrepreneurs, I just crossed my 10-year mark and I plan on doing this another 10 years at least. So what's a month in that 10 years for me to take off and relax? What's a a few hours or a week or whatever. It's not going to throw my entire success course off track, right? So it's also incredibly relative to what your goals are, how long it's going to take you to reach them and how long you're committed to being in them. It's just like a diet you know, with the way people eat. People have cheat days for better or for worse, right? And the amount of time that you quote-unquote spend cheating on your diet... It it really depends how much it's going to throw you off. Mm -hmm. You know, one snack or one you know chocolate bar in the course of a year long dietary regimen is not really going to throw you off that much. One piece of cake or whatever it is that you're splurging on. But if you're splurging once a week or several times a week, then it probably would add up to be quite a lot.
1: This reminds me of a conversation I had last night where I was hanging out with a friend and she was debating. About whether or not to eat, the they were like these chocolate chip banana muffins she made, and she was like really excited, like oh I made these, I never bake, like I I I just I decided to bake, but she was just feeling, I don't know, it was this whole thing about eating dessert and indulgence, and I know that she lives very healthy, she's a very mindful person, she takes good care of herself, you know, she's very compassionate, very mindful of how she lives, and I looked at her, I'm like you're gonna be dead soon, (laughs) and she started laughing, she's like what do you mean, I'm like we're all going to be dead soon. So do you think on your deathbed, you're going to be sitting there going like, oh my God, remember that day in a, a 2018 where I, I had three chocolate banana chip muffins? I, I... You're not going to be sitting on your deathbed thinking about how much chocolate you ate. You will not. I guarantee it. So this whole thing of putting so much pressure, like you're saying, Whitney, the comparison thing, I don't think that at the end of our lives, we are going to be bemoaning. The, the desserts we ate, or the days we spent in bed with the cauliflower puffs of the we're not going to be doing that. And I think, if I may interpret what you're saying, it's like yes, let's stay focused, let's be motivated, let's focus on our aims and goals, but not be these stern taskmasters in the process of being cruel to ourselves or withholding the idea of rest and indulgence and recovery. Because to your point, I agree. You know, and I think my conditioning is growing up in a super hardworking blue collar family. I still have certain guilt mechanisms that I need to unravel when I do take a rest day.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's another huge reason why people feel conflicted about motivation. My sister is another great example cuz I see in her what I used to struggle a lot with. And that we were both raised with very determined parents that were very career oriented and entrepreneurial. Right. And My mom is this incredible force of nature. She is just like the epitome of a really strong woman who's just like, she is going to get whatever she wants. She's going to make things. She just believes if there's a will, there's a way. And she's just whatever you want in life, she believes you can have it. And it's a really amazing role model to have. And she is the type of person that currently Right now, and she's been doing this in different ways throughout my life, but right now, she gets up at like four 4.30 or 5 a.m. so that she can go to the very first workout class that she loves. She goes to these classes like five days a week and she is so committed. she wake up at the crack of dawn. And then by the time I wake up, which is usually like 10.30, that's like my favorite wake up time right now, I've realized. You know, she's already been awake for five or six hours and accomplished so much, and so she's got this mindset of "I'm going to get up early, early bird gets the worm." I'm going to make everything happen, and a lot of people have that that mentality of like wake up before the sun and you know get a lot of stuff done before other people are awake. And I think that's great; it's very inspirational. But I don't know if it works for me.
1: (laughs) Right? Exactly.
0: And to your point, I think. Depending on how you were raised, the people you were around, whether they're your parents, your friends, anyone in your life, teachers, anyone that you maybe want to model yourself after, it can cause a lot of stress to think that that's the way to get things done because we usually model our parents. So for me, having a mother that was like, she loves waking up early and she loves getting things done, it took me most of my life, I mean, up until very recently to realize I actually don't like getting up early. it doesn't bring me that much greater joy. Mm -hmm. I actually find more joy waking up. Like I said, 10.30 is like my sweet spot. And for some people that seems really late, but I like staying up late at night. And so it's kind of like my mother and I are opposite. She loves being up in the morning. I love being up at night. And so a lot of times like our lives kind of like cross over, but I had to find that out for myself. And I had to push through any of these ideas that I had about what it meant to be successful and have a a day that was on track. I had to push through a lot of guilt to give myself permission to wake up when it felt right for me to wake up. And I still battle that in a small way. I'm not sure that my mom fully understands or other people I talk to about this fully understand, but that's where you have to find the self-confidence to know, A, figure out what works for you, and then B, be okay if the way that you Live your life and get things done is different from the way other people accomplish their goals.
1: 100%. And I think it's a perfect parallel to the conversation about food and nutrition. Whereas people want to know the one way, the perfect way, the ideal way. This is the ideal way for humans to eat. This is the ideal way for humans to be successful. And we, so many of us, crave the formula or the system that is like, I'm looking for the answer. But there's not. One way for all of humanity—the way we eat, the way we work, the way we love, the way we engage in relationships—and I, I know this started on motivation, but I think the takeaway here for me is to be radically curious and experimental with finding out what works for us, mm-hmm. and to let go of this obsession of thinking that there's one way to do everything that works for everyone, because that does not match the nature of reality. It just doesn't.
0: Absolutely, and. I find that very refreshing. The challenging part is that you really have to get to know yourself.
1: Yeah. And there's no guidebook. There's no manual. No, That's the thing. There's no life manual. There isn't. And so we've got to write it for ourselves, even if it looks completely different than the way our parents lived, than our religion dictates, than society dictates. And I think one of the most exciting parts about being alive right now is the depth and the ferocity of that exploration with humanity. Yes, we know of all the challenges going on, but I think part of the challenges are the fact that the old ways and the rigid structures and the ought to's and the should's are being broken down. And that can often be confusing and painful and weird and like, I don't know what I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the right way is. But it really is the hero's journey, that classic mythology of, you go into the forest you go into nature you go into the unknown dark corners of the cavern and you don't know what's there and but feeling excited about it and curious rather than overwhelmed and fear fearful. Of getting
0: getting it wrong yeah i think that's really like the big thing is the fear of failure yeah this idea of if i don't do this the right way that i'm i'm going to fail failure is actually part of the path because failure teaches you so much and Oftentimes, we magnify failure when maybe like our version of failure is really not that big of a deal in the big scheme of things, right? Absolutely. Because most of the things that we do in life can be course-corrected. The only thing that we don't get back is time, and the only thing we can't really control is aging. But other than that, we can fail as many times as we want over this lifetime. And I think that that goes back to what you were saying about your deathbed. I actually was looking that up last night cuz I was trying to remember somebody something somebody said during the Wellspring conference and I feel like they said it in that talk that we that last talk we went to about failure actually mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. it was a great talk it was two different guys that mm-hmm. were talking about their experiences with failure and working through depression and suicidal thoughts it was really inspiring and I feel like one of them brought this up so then I looked up what are like the top regrets of the dying and one one really beautiful articulation of it was that the first thing the most important thing is that people regretted not living a life true to themselves because they were too busy living the life that others expected of them right right and that huge. is so huge like what, if you really think about that i think so many of 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 us are basing Everything we do or so much of what we do on what we think we should be doing, what our parents told us to do, what our teachers, what our friends, what the people we idolize is just like, if I want to be like them, if I want to impress them, if I, if I want validation then I have to do these things, even though it doesn't really feel true to me. And I think so many people don't even know what feels true to them. So that to me would be the best way to summarize this topic is to encourage each of you to look continuously for what feels true to you. And it's hard. I feel like you're uncovering a lot. There's a lot of layers built in that get in the way of us figuring out what really feels right for us, true for us. But I want to encourage each and every one of you to be on a hunt for that and make that your priority. I think that's one of the reasons why meditation in the morning is one of the best recommendations is that if you can start your day in silence, focused on yourself, and in getting in touch with your feelings and your thoughts and where your heart is leading you, that can be one of the best ways to stay on the right path.
1: Well said. Yeah, it's, it really is to me the hero's journey of not knowing where the path is taking us, not knowing what's waiting for us, having no idea what life wants for us, But I believe we're all just making it up as we go. And that takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. So I want to acknowledge and honor those of you listening who are on your path, being curious, being loving, being experimental, and honoring your individuality and honoring the gift of your life and defining what that is for yourself. Because it's not easy. As we wrap up, going back to my mom, Susan, my favorite quote that my mom's ever told me is. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And I just want to encourage you that even if it feels scary, confusing, hard, confounding, disillusioning, just keep going. Keep going and and feeling into your heart more of who you are and what you want to create on this planet because it's to me it is the greatest work we can do here is to discover who we truly are and honor that and live that fully.
0: And I think that's really one of the biggest missions of ours with this podcast is to help you figure out yourself. So that you can feel more fulfilled and happy and healthy and just that holistic viewpoint of wellness, every aspect of your life and how that ties into your life experience.
1: That's it, baby. That's why we're here.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of this podcast. We're so grateful to have you here. As we said, we will have show notes. So if there is anything that we discuss today, books or products or or events you can find that all at WellEvator.com in the podcast section. So just look for the name of this podcast and you will find it there. Thanks again. We look forward to hearing from you. We really hope that we hear from you. If you can reach out to us, the links to our social media and our email is also on the website. So you can find all sorts of ways to get in touch with us publicly or privately. We would love you to give us a review on iTunes. That really is a great way to support the podcast and help other people find us. And speaking of which, if you share this episode with somebody that you think could find some value from this, that would be fantastic as well. Thanks again, everyone. Love you.